Hello, my friends. How are you today? You're listening to the St. Mark Bemidji Sunday Edition Podcast, which is brought to you by Church Pew Cheerios. Church Pew Cheerios, keeping little mouths busy since 1943. Available at your local grocer or under the pew in front of you. This podcast features a replay of our Sunday sermon, or on occasion, a sermon from another Well Sister Church. Today's sermon is titled, Commissioned, and is preached from our church right here in Bemidji, based on Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. Now, let's join Pastor Z for today's sermon. In the name of our triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. When something or someone is commissioned, that means that they are brought into a mission to work together. The thing being commissioned is being entrusted with the same authority and the same power as the one that commissioned it. Think maybe, for example, of a ship in the Navy. Uh, When I was at seminary, we had the opportunity, although I admittedly missed it, and I regret it because I loved maritime history and stuff, but I had the opportunity to go to the commissioning of a new warship that was being launched in Milwaukee. Now, what is the the goal and the aim of that ship? It's to go and to carry out and work in the interest of the United States and her government. Can every high-ranking admiral or the president be on every single ship in the Navy? No. But But that ship is effectively like a sovereign, a floating sovereign chunk of United States territory out in the ocean. And the decisions that the captain makes and the the actions that the crew do are basically like, uh, they they are essentially acting and carrying out with the same power and the same authority as the United States government wherever that ship goes. This is almost the same thing that Jesus does. I say almost, and you'll see why in a minute. It's almost the same thing that Jesus does with His church. His apostles, before He ascends into heaven, He sends them to Galilee to meet with Him on this mountain. And what does He tell them? He doesn't look at His disciples and say, alright guys, I'm going to take off now. Um, Good luck. Stay safe, boys. Um, Oh, by the way, I want you to go do this and uh, Godspeed. Take it easy. No, He issues to them what we call the Great Commission. We call it that for a reason. Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. And expressly because He says that, all authority is Mine. Therefore, what? 
Go and make disciples of all nations. He brings his disciples into that commission. That those 11 guys on that hillside that day were the first Christian church. And he sends them out. He commissions them. And this morning we'll look at this commission in two ways. Uh, first of all, who is being commissioned? And then secondly, what is the mission part of the Great Commission? Now the short answer to the first part of that is obviously the apostles. The eleven who were there. But as I said, I think the best way to think of those eleven men on the hillside that day is to think of them as the first Christian congregation. Jesus meets with them on the mountain and the first thing that they all do is what? The same thing we're kind of doing here today, right? They worship Him. They worship Him because of the things that He has done. They praise Him for the fact that He is the Savior of the world. Yet we also see another hallmark of Christians. Were all of them on board with this? No, some doubted. They were afraid. Because they're sinners. Naturally, Jesus leaving them made them nervous. They knew something was afoot. They didn't know exactly what. Some doubted, some were afraid, maybe some didn't fully understand. We find out uh, in other Gospel accounts that some were asking or wondering if Jesus was going to finally restore the kingdom to Jerusalem. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus told them to go. When they saw Him, they worshipped Him. But some doubted. Even after all that they had seen, even after they witnessed Jesus speak in time, at, at times with the, the voice of the Creator God, healing the blind and the lame and the mute, even raising the dead, when Jesus spoke, it was done. Even after they had seen all those things, even after they had seen Jesus Himself rise from the dead. Yeah, those eleven, they worshipped Him, but they were two sinners just like you and I. And those eleven exhibit a hallmark, a trademark of God's people. We all have a short-term memory. Just like God's people of old who wandered in the wilderness even after they saw the signs and the wonders and the Red Sea parted and the manna and the quail, or even after God's uh, Old Testament people saw visions and dreamed dreams and had prophets after prophet being sent to them to remind them of God's promise, they still doubted. And so it was with these eleven, even after everything had come to pass, even exactly as it was said to them, they doubted. Now it shouldn't strike us as surprising in the least, we still doubt. We're still God's people, and even though we have the Word of God and we live in a time when we can even look back, we can look back and see a long list of fulfilled promises of God, an unbroken record, we still doubt, just like the eleven on that hillside that day. When Christians face adversity in any shape or form these days, be it at home or in the workplace, or school, or government, or society, or even in the church, it can often seem to us, and I've, I've heard um, somebody say this to me in, in, a, in a different context the other day, 
Um, Pastor, when, when I see stuff like that, it seems like the devil is winning. You ever heard anybody say that? You look at the moral decline in the country, it seems like the devil is winning. Maybe your, maybe your children are, are, have, have gone off the rails one way or another. Oh, it seems like uh, the devil is just influencing their life and working hard on them, and it seems like he's winning. Remember what Jesus told His disciples. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. In other words, don't doubt. The devil doesn't win. He can't win. He's already been defeated. And his victories, quote-unquote, are nothing more than hollow lies. Yes, the church now is not so different than that little congregation of eleven on that mountainside that day. We're still all sent out into the same world. But does Jesus look at His disciples and does He separate those who doubted and those who trusted? Does He evaluate them based on their qualifications, their personality traits, their faults? No, each and every one of them gets the exact same great commission. Every single one of them receives the same exact instruction. And in doing so, He shows us that He's with us. That He gives us the authority. That His victory is our victory. That the enemies that are under His feet are the enemies that are under our feet. He commissions those disciples and us in the same way when He calls us to service together with Him. As He says at the end of this Gospel reading for today, surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Why? Well, that kind of gets into point number two for today. What is the mission of the Great Commission? What are the, those who are commissioned supposed to do? Go baptize all nations in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teach them everything I have commanded you. The mission of the Great Commission is to proclaim the Gospel for sinners to sinners. One of the great um, marketing strategies that we all see in these, this day and age is this thing that I've often referred, heard referred to as identity politics. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, one a corporation will market or pander to one group or, or another. Long gone are the days of uh, um, Michael Jordan or, or Elvis Presley. If you ever saw it, uh, if you ever heard any of those quotes, uh, Elvis Presley one time was asked, um, hey, what do you think about what President so-and-so said? And Elvis looked back at him and he said, I'm just an artist, you don't know what I need to think. Michael Jordan was, uh, was, was pressed one time and said, uh, hey, why don't you make comment on this or that social issue? And he said, no, 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 Republicans buy shoes too. Now those days are gone. Now we live in this world where there's this identity politics and everybody uh, and, and people want to align their views with what certain corporations are selling or how ethical or, or how they line up with one's ethics or how they line up with one's morals. Companies pander to different groups and to different businesses. But at some point it ends up being exclusionary, doesn't it? I think we've all seen that in the, the, if you pay attention to the news and you, 
pay attention to certain companies who put forth certain things. Not everybody wants to participate. Even long-time customers will turn up their noses at corporations that do this sort of thing. It ends up being exclusionary. Not everybody wants to participate with the identity politics that these corporations are pushing on us. And it happens on both sides of the political spectrum with a whole broad band of different products. And this is what makes, obviously, the, the mission of those corporations is to do what? To, sh to sell you their goods, to sell you their shoes, to sell you their music, to do those sorts of things. And this is what makes the mission of the Great Commission so incredible. That it is indeed a message for everybody. It's not about playing identity politics. It's not even really about sell it's not even about selling anything to, to people. Christians aren't commissioned to sell a product to a demographic. We're commissioned to speak the truth about who we are and about who God is and how God the Father sees us. Go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them everything I have commanded you. Christians are commanded to go as sinful people to sinful people to proclaim to the, to the world freedom from sin and from death and from the devil. To proclaim peace for the morning, forgiveness for those who feel unforgiven and guilty in the face of what seems to be unforgiven. Mercy for the merciless. We are sent to proclaim eternity in the face of the finite and life to those who are dying. Just as a little bit of an example here. I have a brother in the ministry. He's got um, three children. And the youngest one, his youngest son, was recently diagnosed uh, well, I shouldn't say recently. He was recently re-diagnosed with cancer. Apparently his cancer came back. And they thought it was gone, but it returned with a vengeance. Um, and now they're talking in terms of months to live. Uh, and the other day we, 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 uh, we went out uh, on a family trip and, and, and I, uh, we were driving along. I started thinking about it, so we prayed about this. Uh, this little boy, I was looking at my kids. And I thought, you know, here they are. They're going to go out and swim at a beach and play. And I thought um, about this little boy who's not able to do that. But rather, his mom and dad have to sit down and, and their, their hearts are weighed down. Their hearts are full of grief. They know that their time with their son is short. And how do they explain that to their little boy? Well, I think as a Christian person, we all know the answer to that, right? What are we going to share? What, are, what, what, what does a Christian parent share with a dying child? You're going to meet Jesus. You're going to meet the one that forgave your sins. You're going to meet the Creator of all things. Remember when we learned about how He, he created all things in six days? You're going to meet Him. You're going to meet that one. You're going to meet your Lord Jesus who loves you even more than mommy and daddy love you. That's what you're going to share with them. And for the parents who are eventually going to have to mourn, what do you share with them? The peace and the knowledge that their son is baptized? That he is indeed in heaven? That they can await that happy reunion? 
That's the sort of thing that we share. That's the sort of peace that we have. But brothers and sisters in Christ, think about how many people in this world who are going through something just like that, but do not know who God is. Who have no idea. Maybe they, they, they just see such a situation and they think it's just bad, dumb luck, and why is the quote-unquote universe being so awful to me? They, don't have, uh, they can search the world all they want for all the, the peace that they can try to find the world doesn't have any peace. The world doesn't have any mercy. The world doesn't have any answers for all the evils and the atrocities, physical, emotional, or financially, that people are facing. No answers for the what could have been or the why that people often ask. That is, no answers for the sadness or for the memories or for the what could have been. Many millions of people, billions of people maybe, facing the similar challenges. Who don't know who God is. People who are sinners just like you and I. We have a message for sinners. To give to sinners. And not on our own authority. This isn't something we came up with. We are called to speak with the same authority as Christ Himself, who has everything under His control, to tell those who are to, <coughs> excuse me, to tell to the world that all those things are purely evidence that we indeed need a Savior, and we have one in Christ, that He took all the evils and all the atrocities and all the sadness of the world. And He bore them on His shoulders. He buried them with Himself in the tomb. And He left them there as He rose again. As He showed that, as only He could, that He has conquered death as only the Lord of all could do. Thus, when we go, when we go out to the world, when we, when we see people who are hurting, when we see sinners who are grieving in some shape or form, we know that we go with confidence. We do it knowing we do this in the name of the, uh, of the very One. We do this in the name and with the aid of the very One who called everything into being. Who made all things as we heard in our first reading today. Because yeah, I suppose when you sit back, it kind of sounds crazy. Unless we understand who underpins this whole mission of the Great Commission. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit who created time and matter and space. Who is in every single part of it through it, in it, yet not of it, not bound by it and far above it. And at the same time, we have Christ Jesus who entered in as one of us, flesh and blood, but spoke and acted with the voice and with the mercy and compassion of the Creator God. And so unlike, unlike a ship who's commissioned into the United States Navy, where the president or the high-ranking admirals can't be on the deck every minute. Our Lord Jesus is with us. Our triune God is with us. Every step of the way, no matter where we are, no matter who we are speaking to, no matter where we go, He is not separate or distant from the chain of command. He's promised to be with us to the very end of the age. 
The fullness of the deity dwells in our Savior Jesus. And His promise is that He is with us always in everything. And so we go with the mission of the Great Commission. Knowing that our Lord is there whenever we speak to somebody about His Word. He's there whenever we speak to somebody about Him. He's there in the face of persecution. He's there when, two, when Christians gather together with one another. He's there in the waters of baptism. He's here on the altar in the bread and the wine. Our Lord Jesus is with us truly and He is with us to the very end of the age. And what a wonderful peace it brings to a believer to know that we are commissioned. We work together with the God of all things in the name of the triune God to baptize and to teach in His name. Amen. We hope that today's meditation on God's Word has enriched you. Divine services are held right here in Bemidji, Minnesota at 8 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Sunday school and adult Bible study is also offered between our Sunday services at 9.15 a.m. Our church services are live-streamed at 8 a.m. on Sunday mornings and are available afterwards on our channel, St. Mark Lutheran Church, Bemidji. If you're listening or watching this podcast, you are cordially invited to join us in person next week and every week. This is our fourth year producing this podcast, and there is a large archive of devotional material online available if you want to learn more about God and His Word. Visit www.stmarkbemidji.org or look in the show notes in this podcast for a link to this and many other meditations on God. You can also search for St. Mark Bemidji on YouTube to find our channel. If you have any questions or you would like more information about our church and its ministry, please visit our website, which is once again, www.stmarkbemidji.org. All scripture readings are taken from the Holy Bible, New International Version, copyright 2011, and are used by permission from Zondervan. Meditation's daily devotional is published by Northwestern Publishing House and is also used by permission. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider subscribing and telling a friend. May God bless the rest of your day. salvation free lasting to eternity